Um, well, Christopher, the question that you ask is actually a very, very common question. And that uh, it's um, also a very common uh, situation. But in fact, I would go so far as to say that this is a kind of question that should be asked. Okay. And that the, uh, the Buddha was absolutely clear on it that can be broken down or actually just stated in one little sentence. And that one little sentence would be one by one as they occur. Now let me explain what that means. <laughs> All right. One I'll by definitely one. need definitely need the interpretation on that one. <laughs> right. One by well, the question that you originally ask is what is it that you uh, that should be paid attention to? Okay. And the answer to that question is one by one as they occur. When something comes up, it's worth looking at. And you could go so far as to say when something does not come up, that's also worth looking at. Okay. Wow, now that's a little bit weird. What we're talking about on that second part is the issue of sunyata or emptiness or beginning to see not only what's there but what would be there under other circumstances or uh, what's not there and that basically what that means is is that we begin to define what is there by uh, also noting what's not there can you an give example, me an, yeah, okay. <laughs> an example of that is uh, going to the forest. There's no village in the forest. Mm -hmm. But if the monk goes to the forest and thinking about the forest, he just brought the forest with him. But really, the forest has no village. That's an important quality because a lot of us invent things and put them there when in fact they're not there okay so all right so let's talk about the first part more because that's where the beginner goes looking for what's not there is a little bit more of an advanced technique mm -hmm. but beginning uh in the beginning looking at what's there has uh both sides of the fence in other words when uh, in the Mahasi noting system, what they say is to note, and the question then is, what do you note? The answer is, whatever you find or whatever is there. That's what's to be noted. But the Buddhist style is quite different than that. In the sense that uh, the noting that's going to be done uh, has two qualities to it. One of the qualities is, is that to note whatever's there with a very quick determination, whether this is wholesome or not. And if it's unwholesome, we throw that thought out. If we keep throwing unwholesome thoughts out, one by one as they occur, whenever an unwholesome thought comes, we throw that out. Then that means that we begin to get into the, uh, to a kind of a rhythm of one wholesome thought after another after another. When we have the mind in wholesome states, we still have stuff to look at one by one as they occur. But now everything that we're looking at is wholesome because we are, in fact, seeing the unwholesome and removing it. So imagine, uh, just as an example, a conveyor belt that has tomatoes on it coming from the farm. And that the, to, uh, the picker that's standing beside the conveyor belt, his job is to remove the unwholesome or the irregular tomatoes. So that now on the conveyor belt, the only thing that's left is wholesome thoughts or wholesome tomatoes. 
those that can be packaged and sold. All right, so this is kind of the way that we're uh, uh, approaching it, is the very, very beginning meditator has a whole bunch of junk mixed in with a whole bunch of uh, fruit. And after we start doing the investigation, that means that we're throwing out the unwholesome fruit, and so we bind, we wind up with just good fruit. But now that fruit also uh, is what really is worthy of investigation. Like deep, deep, deeper investigation, uh, basically, like. Uh, you be you're already investigating, but now you think you have more wholesome thoughts, but now you should look at those more closely is what you're saying? Uh, yes, actually, um, more of what's really going on in the mind. Okay. Um, so another thing that we can start to approach this with is the understanding that Anapanasati is not just yet another meditation technique. There are a lot of them, okay, uh, depending upon the object and, and many other things that are used. Uh, but we can say that Anapanasati is kind of like the grandmother or the granddaddy of all of them because in Anapanasati, we're going to be doing it all. In the beginning, we get the student started on an object of meditation, for instance, the breathing. But as we progress very quickly, we begin to, uh, to bring in more objects of meditation. So sure. that we're going to, uh, and what objects of meditation are we going to bring in can still follows that rule one by one as they occur. That's going to be helpful because a lot of guys say, well, what do I look at next? You look at what's right in front of you. That's what you look at. That's what's there. One by one as they occur, as the tomatoes come down this conveyor belt, we look at this one. What's happening right now? But what's happening right now, we can now go a little bit more uh, uh, depth in it that tomatoes are not the only thing that are on the conveyor belt. That in fact, we can say that there's four kinds of fruit on the conveyor belt. We have a uh, body, we have feelings, we have the mind, and we have the mind's objects. Mm -hmm. And that what we can say is that we are going to be developing each one of these as a skill. So there's a wide variety of skills to be developed. Okay. okay. All right. So well, before you go on, what's the difference between the mind and a mind object? All right. We can think of the mind itself is uh, in a state of mind. Okay. And a state of mind then will produce certain kind of objects that that state of mind will not produce other kinds of mental objects. Right. Well, right. I, I think that uh, I don't want to cut you off, but I think that's the experience that I've noticed by watching is if I'm not feeling that great that day, the objects that pop up in my mind are usually pretty negative for the most part. Whereas if, was, if I'm feeling great physically that day, the things popping up and the memories are better so All right. that's normal <laughs> okay. uh that's normal for the untrained mind okay that in fact part of the untrained mind is that there uh for the for the beginning student is to begin to recognize what you're pointing out here that you do recognize that the body affects the feelings and the feelings affect the mind and the mind affects the feelings and the feelings affect the body which means indirectly the body affects the mind and i can give you many many examples of that one example that's really interesting is is that in any situation that requires competition getting your opponent angry puts you to an advantage mm -hmm. 
Okay. Why is that? Well, looking at debating, if you start telling the guy that he doesn't know what he's talking about and his he chose the wrong topic and that kind of stuff is considered an anhomium attack. Because if you attack the um, uh, the debater, he'll have to defend himself rather than defend his argument. Right. All right. This you see in in all kinds of combat also. In fact, the place that you can see it most visibly and most obviously is in the World Federation of Wrestling or WWE, right. where um, the guy, the, the wrestler will come out on stage and just scream and trash his opponent as best he can. Now, these guys are all in business with each other, and they know what this is all about. He's not really screaming and trashing his opponent. He's working up the crowd. Right. All right. And so this is the uh, uh, the point is, is that if we are feeling in a certain way, we, we can't think. But in fact, the question would be where... Um, is the blood in the body going to be uh, used the most? If we're running, the body uses it. If we're digesting food, then the belly is using all the blood. If we are thinking, then all the brain is using the blood. Right. All right. So if we are relaxed and sitting comfortably and watching what's going on, um basically uh the mind is left to just kind of wander uh the segment Freud called this by the way free association <clears throat> and what it means is is that the mind is actually free to associate with the feelings or with the body or, or whatever. And that what we're going to be doing is breaking this down uh, into these three groups and intentionally working with each one of them. Okay. So, and as we begin to work with each one of them, we begin to see their interconnectedness. And that one of the ways that I speak about this is that we have been our whole lives talking ourselves into feeling bad. Now it's time to talk ourselves into feeling good. What that means is, is that your thoughts will affect your feelings. And that if you uh, if you feel if you're feeling good, ultimately part of that feeling good is that the body is going to relax. And so talking to yourself into feeling good, feeling good and having the body relaxed, that's a basis or a foundation for uh, work. Okay. All right. And what I mean by that, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa says, in fact, of calling it making the mind fit for work, getting the mind ready to do the work that it needs to be done, uh, which means... Um, you have probably seen people train for, uh, in sports with ankle and wrist bracelets that are heavy. Mm -hmm. All right. But when you're out in the world of that sport, those training things are taken off so that you have the freedom. But there are uses or values. For instance, if you already have the speed of the swing in a, a racket for tennis, then that weight will help you have power behind that speed. But if you put that bracelet on too soon, then you will never build up the speed in the first place. So okay. your power has no value if it's got no speed behind it. It's got no force of velocity to you, mass times um, acceleration is force, right? So that's a way of looking at it then, is that um, we need to get the mind fast while it's not burdened. Okay. Many examples of this. Uh, going to the gym, the beginner in the gym cannot pick up 350 kilos. Just can't do it. If he tries, he'll probably hurt himself. 
but he can pick up five kilos. Right. And he could do five kilos for a little bit, but that will build up his muscles. All right. And then he'll go on the other side in five kilos. And th this is kind of the way that we're going to practice to build up because there's going to be times when we need that that strength or we need those skills. Let us say that there is going to be tough times ahead. That as you get old, as you in fact, as time goes, you will get old. You will get sick and you will die. Yep. And if you're miserable when you're young and healthy, then how are you going to feel when you're old and sick and ready to die? Right. That in fact, the way that you can think of it is, is that uh, practicing Anapanasati for the young man is merely his insurance policy for old age. Then in fact, there's, um, um, it's quite so well known that elderly people, old people get grumpy, that they even make movies and call it that name, Grumpy Old Man. <laughs> that is a good movie. <laughs> well, it's an indication. Uh, in fact, one of the students just recently said that uh, uh, his grandmother is that way. And, yeah. I, and I pointed out to him and he said, yes, she hasn't been that grumpy for that many years. She's getting grumpier as she gets old. Right. Right. But you don't have to. You can you can get ready for that. Uh, basically, what you could say that grumpy old men get grumpy because they spend years and years and years, one defeat and one uh, uh, missed opportunity and one failure after another, after another. And it kind of builds up and we get that that feeling of failure right that we started out with the feelings of failure well we didn't actually start out when we actually started out is very very tender difference we started out almost all of us not everyone but almost all of us starts out in a nurturing situation we start out as an infant in some mommy's arms mm -hmm. but by the time we're five or six years old they put us to work one of the examples of that is when mommy has a second child, then little four-year-old Tommy stops being the baby and starts being mommy's little helper. And he don't like that at all. Right. Right. And so we wind up now in a career of mommy's little helper, and we're not getting the nourishment that we once got. And so... In the practice of Anapanasati, we are going to recreate those feelings that we had when we were tender infants by nurturing ourselves. That, in fact, we can say that most of our thoughts that keep us unhappy and upset are critical thoughts. Thoughts about this was good, but that's better. And so we wind up comparison comparing one thing after another after another and this is what we're normally doing in our uh, practice is mulling over defeats mm -hmm. mulling over unfinished business mulling over things that have to be done or we're telling ourselves that they ought to do or trying to think of something to say to get someone else to change their mind about something these are the kind of thoughts that we call junk thoughts and we can think of it as monkey mind because wherever the monkey mind lands it's still not a comfortable place but one of the ways that you can think of it is the reason that the monkey mind is continuously jumping or free associating going from one place to the next to the next is because it never lands in a safe secure place it always lands in another dangerous place mm -hmm. All right, and so we have to get the mind in a, uh, in a state so that the place that it lands is finally a wholesome, safe place. Only then can the mind find rest. Okay. And while we're doing this, in the sense of Anapanasati is a whole group of skills that when they're put together, 
bring this about. In other words, someone can practice Anapanasati with the intention of the relaxation of the body. But unless he's working also with the mind and the feelings, the body is not going to fully relax. He's literally talking himself into being uptight at one mind moment and the next mind moment he's telling himself to relax. And then the next mind moment he's thinking of something that needs to be done again. And so we're all over the place. So when we understand that Anapanasati is actually a whole set of skills to be developed, then uh, we develop them basically one by one as they occur. And so having confusion about what do I do or what do I do next, you've got a whole bunch of stuff. It's almost like a three-year-old walking into the toy store and saying, what toy do I play with next? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Go play with whatever toy you want to. Or basically play with whatever toy that presents itself to you in this moment, whatever catches your eye one by one as they occur. Okay. All right. Now, there's some direction in this in the sense that um, following the Eightfold Noble Path, we're going to be working with investigation, sati, right effort, and right attitude. And these four things are the um, framework within which we practice anapanasati that Anapanasati was designed just to practice these four foundations or these four aspects of the Eightfold Noble Path. And when we get them developed, they are then referred to as the Sambhojana or the awakening factors. So uh, Sati being the first skill means to wake up and look at what's going on or to be here now rather than merely being lost in thought that we we spend some uh, awaking moment to be in the present moment. When that becomes um, developed as a skill, then it means it's, it's unremitting mindfulness, which means that it's not there all the time, but it's certainly there every time we need it. Okay. The Buddha was asked about this one time, and the Buddha's answer was, Uh, Think about a man who has had a a foot cut off. He does not think about that missing foot every minute or every day. He only thinks about that foot cut off when he needs it. Makes sense. All right. (laughs) So like like when he's walking. So he may, in fact, remember that foot that's cut off every step. But when he's not walking, he's not thinking about the foot. This is how sati is, is that when you're walking, you need sati. Right. All right. And so uh, in that sense, you could say whenever you're breathing, you need sati. (laughs) And that's why they call it anapana sati. Ana means in breath and pana means out breath. And in fact, it's exactly opposite to the word of pranayana, which is used in yoga. That's the Sanskrit. Okay, so pranayana and anapana are basically the same practice. Uh, And that there are meditation uh, styles, techniques that call themselves Buddhist, but do not follow the teachings of the Buddha in this regard. They say merely watch the breath. Well, if you're just watching the breath, then that means that the monkey mind can watch the breath for a little while and then jump and go watch something else and then jump again and watch something else. But basically, Anapanasati is uh, really to take the sati, the mindfulness or the direct intention to make the breath a long breath on the in-breath and to make it a long out-breath on the out-breath. In other words, we're putting some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. we're actually beginning to control the breathing if we can control the breathing the only way that we can control the breathing is by controlling the mind so by controlling the breathing we're actually practicing controlling the mind as well as controlling the breathing 
right. this is a major part of the uh, the beginner's practice is learn to control the breathing so that you can make it long and slow and deep and relaxed with the intention that is going to take the body into a relaxed, happy, comfortable state. But we also have the quality that um, that breathing energizes and oxygenates the body as well as purifies the body. And if we're not breathing well uh, because of the um, many, many factors go into this. One of them has to do with the fear or the freeze. The other one is just the economy of effort that why should you breathe if you don't have to? The answer is, is that if you're not breathing, then you probably don't have the energy necessary to either do any work, digest food or think. And right. so if we start to breathe better, the whole body begins to work better. And that we don't need to spend so much of our time in, uh, let us say, freeze mode. And freeze is basically part of that fight or flight. So we freeze first and then we get ready. Uh, and all of this is done with fear. The first thing that happens is a fearful thought freezes us and we stop. And then the body is pumped with adrenaline because in the old, old days, 600,000 years ago, all of the dangers had to come from predators and they happened in this immediate moment mm -hmm. that we either are being chased by a lion or we can relax. But in modern times, we actually humans chase ourselves in our own minds with lions that don't really exist. All the time. But we, but we <laughs> feel like that we're being chased and there's actually no lion to fight and there's no lion to run away from. And so here we're sitting in our chair with adrenaline in the system that we talked ourselves into with fears and whatnot. All right. right. So um, we're going to start paying attention to the kind of thoughts that we have with the intention of changing those thoughts from unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts. Now, that's an in general kind of thing that the Buddha talks about it in uh, one sutta in the sense of one's right effort is to change unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts, to change unwholesome attitudes or losers mentality, victims position into the winners mentality, to change the way that we look at things, that we are looking at things. When I say uh, the difference between just looking at things would be kind of a world view or an attitude or a concept that we kind of know what's going on in the world and we see it that way as a world view. Okay. What we're actually talking about with the word view is actually looking or viewing in this moment right now. All right. But um, you probably heard of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Yep. So Dr. Watson muses and speculates while uh, Sherlock Holmes gets his magnifying glass out and inspects. Right. All right. That's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, change from being Dr. Watson, the know-it-all, into Sherlock Holmes, the investigator. Okay. That and so, and then the question is, well, what are we going to investigate? We're going to investigate the aspects of the Satipatthana, the body, the feelings, the mind, and the mind's objects. That's what we're going to investigate. And the first thing that we're going to investigate is what kind of thoughts that we have. The Buddha talks about two kinds of thoughts, wholesome and unwholesome. But in the Anapanasati Sutta directly, he uh, addresses this with the term of gladdening the mind or brightening the mind. In other words, we're going to intentionally have wholesome thoughts that are just not kind of nebulous or kind of out there or kind of okay to be labeled as wholesome. And we're going to actually intentionally make sure that these thoughts that we're having are fully wholesome. We're going to perk up the mind, gladden the mind with the intention of perking up and gladdening the feelings. 
Okay. We have been talking ourselves into feeling bad our whole lifetime. Now we're going to start talking ourselves into feeling good with these gladdening pickup thoughts. And that uh, there are certain little places to begin to do this. And we can um, actually I'm using the definition of the term sukha. Because sukha is number one, the actual opposite of dukkha. And the entire teachings of the Buddha is nothing but coming out of dukkha, which means in another way of speaking, coming into a state of sukha or coming into a state of satisfaction. So we live our lives dissatisfied. This is work to be done. These are comparisons, this better than that, and all of this kind of stuff into nurturing thoughts that wind up taking us into a state of satisfaction. So I ask you rhetorically, which would you rather uh, in any particular moment in your mind, off into the future, not talking about all thoughts or general thoughts, but just any particular point in time, would you rather have an unwholesome thought about work to do or a wholesome thought about how nice things are? It's a no-brainer, right? It is literally a no-brainer, <laughs> except that the whole crowd goes around with no brain at all, continuously thinking <laughs> yes. about unwholesome thoughts of work to do, things that are unfinished, un, um, uncompleted uh, tragedies, and we never take that trash out of the mind and put something wholesome in it. And yet we can do that at any point in time. The, uh, the use of the conveyor belt analogy and the tomatoes is a good one because we only have to deal with the tomato right in front of us. We don't have to see that string way off into the future or way back into the past. All we have to do is take care of this particular portion of the conveyor belt, the one, the part of the conveyor belt is right in front of us. Now, I understand what you're saying intellectually, but when it comes to the actual practice and I'm doing it, my mind rebels against this because it says we have stuff that we got to plan. We have stuff that we got to think about. <laughs> we have things that we need to do next week. We have, you know, there's st if I don't do that stuff, then there will be a consequence in the future. So I, that's where I, uh, I run into I, that kind of issue like. You know, I, I want right, to. But let here's the whole go. point, though, that now that you've gotten into the habit of that, that's all you're doing. I and agree. When you just start <laughs> to do something else. The mind rebels against that because that's not the habit that you're in. Right. Right. OK, this is why this is a skill to be developed. Is to say. That for this particular period of time, that particular particular period of time I would recommend to be 10 minutes but we do it several times a day as opposed to do it for an hour a day because for an hour a day the mind gets tired we lose our attention span after about 20 minutes also breathing that way can get tiring but doing this for 10 minutes so you can now tell that mind is well we're only going to take 10 minutes off and then you can go back to slaving away if you want to Right. But for 10 minutes, we're going to have some peace and quiet. Okay. Well, that makes, I've, I've been doing it for six minutes at a shot. I don't, I don't know if that's too short, but, um, I've been, I've been, you know, <laughs> but even in the six minutes, I mean, I've, you know, my, my mind is, you know, thrown punches at me left and right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm ducking everything left mm -hmm. and right. I know six minutes, um, well, I would recommend then to go a little bit longer. I would say uh, start for 15 or maybe even 20 minutes so that you can at least when you do sit down, bring your mind into a settled place. If you work on it for six minutes and then quit, you're mm -hmm. probably not uh, <clears throat> going to get it settled down so much. OK, all right. OK, so a little bit longer than but after you get it where you can do it within 10 minutes, then you can start practicing to get it down to six. OK, pretty soon you can get it down to you can relax within one breath. That'd be great. <laughs> but then three breaths later, you got to relax again because the mind can start back up again. Never right. mind. That's the nature of the mind. If you don't like it, then that's just an unwholesome thought. Right. It, it is what it is. Right? I mean, it is not only is it what it is, but it is, um, let us say, 
It's our working stock. What, what do you mean by that? Uh, work in progress. Oh, OK, OK, yeah. OK, uh, another and I'm, I'm avoiding this word, but we can say that it is our life's work. It's the job to do. It's the only job that's worthwhile doing. All the other jobs um, don't give us uh, the benefit that having a calm, cool, comfortable mind will do. If the mind is agitated, we don't even have much time to enjoy the things that we do accomplish. Yeah, I agree. I've spent most of my life enjoying memories of things rather than the actual things. <laughs> so <laughs> that's one of the reasons that I'm here talking to you. Okay. <laughs> so what we've been um, getting ready to talk about is the fact that there are several things that need to be done. All, uh, actually, there's four. But we need to practice those on a fairly regular basis. The first thing that we're going to practice as a skill is sati. Okay. Wake up. And wake up. Yep. And that sati is also going to be applied to everything that we do. All of the other skills that we're going to develop are going to be in conjunction with mindfully taking a long, deep breath and mindfully taking a long, deep out breath. So as we're breathing in long, we're looking at the mind and seeing what's going on there, making the determination that that thought is either wholesome or unwholesome. And for the beginner, what happens is most of the thoughts that we have is unwholesome because we've gotten ourselves into that habit. But that's not true all the time. That in fact, you could go so far as to say that people who have only unwholesome thoughts and never have any wholesome thoughts at all, are probably going to give themselves an aneurysm, a stroke, a heart attack, or get themselves killed, or shoot themselves. But life is tenuous when you have 100% unwholesome thoughts, and not only that, but if that's all you've got, why stay alive with it? Right. Mm -hmm. So everybody has wholesome thoughts, but generally, those, whole, those wholesome thoughts are being outweighed by unwholesome thoughts. And that what we're actually uh, practicing for here is to change that balance. You're not going to completely get rid of unwholesome thoughts altogether for a while, maybe eventually, but we're not even trying to do that in the beginning. We're just trying to catch ones that we can see, to be on guard and see those thoughts that in fact, what will happen is, is that we'll have an unwholesome thought followed by more unwholesome thoughts that are just like that. Let us say thinking about writing an email. And then Sati comes in. Aha, I caught you. Never mind that you'd had 10 or 15 thought moments of, um, of unwholesome thoughts. Now that I'm waking up and I can see it, now I can make a change to it. Mm -hmm. And that change is generally coming from the from the point, aha, I see you. Let us say that you were, in fact, looking at tomatoes. And that in, uh, all of a sudden, no matter what else has happened, you just immediately see that there's a rotten tomato right in front of you. What's the very first instant that we have would be something like, aha, I see that this is a rotten tomato. Right. I That's exactly that's exactly the way we're going to do it, is we're going to say, aha, I see you. Aha, I see that, oh, I could be doing better than this. The phrase, aha, I see you, Myra, actually is a, a statement from the Buddha. And he uh, used that statement when he was under the bow tree, figuring all of this stuff out about the Four Noble Truths and Paticca Samapada and all of that, putting it together. This is the linchpin is to take those unwholesome thoughts out of the mind. Aha, I see you. That aha, I see you actually is a new mind moment that's actually thrown that old mind moment out. And it's done in the following way. Imagine that this, this wrist here is the thought, and this is me having that thought. All right? And then I wake up, 
And when I wake up, aha, I see you, Mara. I've actually separated and dislocated myself from that thought before I was the thought or these are my thoughts. And in fact, the uh, these are my thoughts is not the right way to say it. Rather that uh, the the thoughts own me, the thoughts control me, the thoughts are in in charge. But when we say, aha, I see you, that means that we can remove ourselves. I am not the thought. I can now see the thought from the outside world. Now we have a chance to change that thought from unwholesome to wholesome. This is, we can't change it from unwholesome to wholesome while we've grabbed it and got it and own it, and it's me. But when we can come up and say, aha, I see you, that's the, the change. And not only that, but that's the beginning change of attitude. And that's also the beginning of the right effort is to see that with that expression. Aha, uh-huh, I do see you. Now we can take the right effort and the right effort has to do with putting some skin in the game in the sense of I don't have to think that I can throw those kind of thoughts out and have wholesome thoughts. Isn't it nice right now that I don't have to think about that email? An example is, is that we're not writing that email right now. We're just thinking about writing the email and we're feeling miserable and we're not getting the email done. We're just sitting here feeling bad. Aha, I see that. I see (laughs) that I'm not writing that email. I'm just thinking about it. Let me relax instead for this next six to 10 to 15 minutes and just do nothing. The emails will happen later. But for right now, no emails needed. No work to be done, nothing to do right now. I can just simply sit and relax. And what a relief it is to take a deep breath and sigh and just relax for a moment. It is relaxing. I I got maybe three seconds of that (laughs) in my practice so far, but those three seconds were pretty nice. I got to (laughs) say. All right. Continue to practice. Keep going. Keep doing that over and over again. Recollect that you can do this and to keep practicing at it. Practice a little bit longer than 10 or 15, you know, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that. But six, I think, is not quite long enough for for the beginner. But if you practice getting yourself into that good state where there's nothing to do, no place to go, and then stay in that state long enough to really relish it really like it. Wow, this is really nice. As we continue to do that over and over again, we will develop the skill of the right uh, attitude. And that right attitude is, hey, I can do this. Right now, you're not quite sure. In fact, you said, well, I had three seconds of it. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Think that you could get it. Well, it just, it feels sort of distant. It's like, you know, you're going to run that 15 mile marathon. You know, it's, (laughs) it's the goal is not uh, fully formed in my mind yet. So, yes. Right. Well, getting yourself into a good state and then experiencing that good state should be the goal that you're looking for. Now, let's talk about it in some detail, because there's in this gladdening of the mind, there's certain things that you can say that really, really help, but you're going to have to figure the the right things to say for yourself. But some things like uh, everything's all right. Everything's fine. Wow, not a worry in the world right now. No place to go, nothing to do. And the spring comes and the grass grows by itself. These are the kinds of things that you can say. But there's also some very specific things that you can say. An example of that is is to recognize in reality that right now there are no dangers. There are no crocodiles. There's no ghost. There's no CIA. There's no SWAT team. There are no gorillas. There are no bears. This is, in fact, the Sunyata that we were talking about a little bit before, is to recognize that there is nothing dangerous here. Right. The, I the, can the, the, the missing things that you were talking about, right? The, <laughs> mm-hmm. the things that are missing is danger. Right. 
If the if the danger is missing, that means that you can actually tell that little child inside that uh, that deep old part of the brain, everything is okay. You can relax for a moment or two. Okay. <laughs> that we spend all of this time uh, feeling afraid, and we don't have to feel afraid. And generally, we, generally we talk ourselves into being afraid by giving ourselves fearful thoughts about work to be done, jobs to be done, and sometimes even um, the not just the work and job that that is to be done, but somehow some magical made-up disaster that's going to happen if we don't do that work. Mm-hmm. That that's how we were raised as children. The child is raised, you do what you're told to do, and if you don't do it, there's going to be a disaster for you yeah. planned. Yep. Yelling or screaming or loss of freedom or spankings or all kinds of disasters. And so we, we grow up kind of avoiding disasters and we continue to live our lives avoiding disasters, even avoiding disasters that are not even there. Mm-hmm. And so when we recognize there is no mommy there to spank you for not doing your email. <laughs> and so right now I can just forget about the email. Drop it away and just be happy for a little while. So I can be comfortable and happy, first off, by feeling secure. Allow yourself, talk yourself into actually feeling secure. Do I feel secure now? Yeah, in fact, that feeling of security often has to do with being able to take a deep breath. That when you're in a in a dangerous crowd, people are not breathing well. That breathing and uh, fear are uh, together. So if you're really taking really deep, full breaths, more than likely you're not going to be feeling afraid. And especially if you're talking to yourself and proving to yourself that there's nothing here to be afraid of. So recognizing that there is no fear, seeing the emptiness of dangerous things, we finally can relax. So now that we've got ourselves um, safe and secure, we can also work on comfortable. A lot of people, especially with certain groups, uh, mostly coming out of uh, Goenka technique, um, about the strong determination settings and other things, that a lot of people get the idea that in meditation they're supposed to sit for a long period of time. The longer you sit, the better. This is not true at all. That in fact, normally what happens when people begin to sit a long time and they're not used to it, the body becomes uncomfortable. And just like uh, the body being uncomfortable is like the beginner going into a gym trying to bench press 300 pounds. You can't do it. Right. Right? There's no reason for you to sit uncomfortably. That the Buddha talks about it in the sense of sukha means that you feel comfortable. So you can talk yourself into it in the sense of, wow, this is comfortable. I really don't have to move a muscle because the, the position of the body right now is completely comfortable. And then we can work on the next item, which is the big one, and that is satisfaction. Now, I used to talk to students a lot about joy, and the student then would come back and say, well, I feel joy, but it's not enough joy. I want more. I want more. Well, any time that you want something that you don't have, that's Buddha's practical definition of dukkha, wanting something that you don't have. So what we're talking about here is then intentionally developing the feeling of satisfied as if everything is okay, that you don't need anything, that all is well, and that we feel secure, comfortable, and satisfied. Everything is satisfactory. It may not be perfect, but we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for nurturing. Everything's all right. Everything's fine. 
And so if we nurture ourselves and feel comfortable and secure and we start doing that, we can say, hey, wait a minute, I can do it one time, I can do it again. I could get myself to spend just a minute or two feeling really, really good, and that means that I talked myself into it, I can do that again, and I can do it again. And this actually, I can do it again, is the building up of the shwada or confidence that comes with the samasankapa or the right attitude and the right attitude then is the attitude of I can do this. So that then the first step on the noble path that the Buddha gives is the step of that when the student recognizes no matter how obstructed with hindrances the mind becomes, we can clean that stuff out and come back to this present moment. That's the first knowledge and that puts one on the path because that's a step that is noble. It is, in fact, above the world. It is uh, uh, super mundane. It is also a factor of the path. This is the actual path. Is that right attitude? And that this is an uh, this new attitude and this new knowledge is also something that ordinary people don't have. Almost all the people that you meet will find something that they are a victim of. The government, mommy, taxes, their job, the chair they're sitting in, the house they live in, anything can become uh, a big problem for people. And it becomes their master and they become a victim of it. But with this practice of throwing that victimhood out over and over and over again with that can-do attitude, I can do this. I can, in fact, feel safe and secure. I can, in fact, feel uh, comfortable. I can, in fact, feel satisfied. Satisfied. This is good enough. I feel really satisfied, okay? We need to practice that because the satisfaction will grow. But we have to practice satisfaction in order to make it grow. We cannot practice dissatisfaction hoping that it will turn into satisfaction. We have to actually find some satisfaction and practice that. That makes total sense. That's made more sense than anything I've ever read on meditation or anything else, because everything else is like you say, that you're just looking at the, the crap over and over and over. and naturally like you say you're going to get more crap if you're swimming in the crap right well, that's, that's right <laughs> and not only that but if someone is practicing actively a meditation of looking and observing and noting and not taking the crap out that means that they begin to live their life in their own manufactured city dump right and so they manufacture and have to deal with fear disgust misery, great longing to get out of that stuff. These are, by the way, items that are on the 16 stages of insight. And the Buddha would say, hey, man, that's the first thing we do is to throw that stuff out. <laughs> to throw all of that stuff out immediately as soon as we recognize it. To throw all of the misery, disgust, the fear, uh, the longing, any of that kind of stuff, and throw it out and says, right now I feel satisfied without any of that stuff just satisfied <sighs> I need some relief <laughs> relief relaxation this is what we're looking for and so whenever those thoughts of uh, work to do or emails come during this period of time you can also have the thought there'll be plenty enough for counting when this dealing is done <laughs> Got to know when to fold them, right? <laughs> right. We have to know when to fold them. And, this, and because uh, otherwise the mind is saying, oh, you've got work to do. You've got work to do. You've got work to do. Even when you're getting this work done, it's planning more work for you to do. Yes. And so now is the time to fold all of that stuff away. And enjoy your uh, your your gains. Right. 
yeah, it's time to stop all the dealing <laughs> and to start counting our blessings. To recognize everything is okay right now. Everything is fine. I'll go. I'll go do some more gambling at another time. But right now, we're going to just sit here and enjoy the moment. It's a great uh, metaphor analogy for me because I'm a I'm a, a big poker fan. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. We can mark that up to serendipity. It happens with most of the students. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the way that we practice. To get ourselves into that state of satisfaction, which has these components of feeling safe, feeling secure, feeling comfortable, feeling satisfied. We practice that over and over again, and we begin to build a new item, which has to do with confidence or shraddha, which is actually an attitude that I can do this. We become a winner. We become uh, successful, really successful. And that success is what we're looking at, which is different than satisfaction. On top of the satisfaction, we're going to add the cherry on top of the cake, which is success. The can-do attitude. These what was, are the four what's items the word that you... The word you use for that, we, I've heard you say that on other videos where you, the wow, what's that, what's that word? Uh, uh, the, the poly word for it is pity. Pity, yeah, okay. And that wow feeling of success, I can do this. Right, right. E or also that wow feeling, you know, everything really is okay. Everything really is quite marvelous, thank you. <laughs> That's that feeling of success and satisfaction together. Pity and Sukha. These are actually jhana factors. And we want to have that feeling of success, that feeling of satisfaction, the feeling of comfort, the feeling of safety and security. These are all actual real feelings, but they're not negative feelings that we spend so much time feeling. So we've actually talked ourselves into these good feelings and we can give a list of unhappy or unwholesome feelings would be uh, instead of safety and security, we feel fear. Instead mm -hmm. of comfortable, we feel uncomfortable. We feel dissatisfied. We feel anger. We feel a sense of loss. We feel a sense of grief. We feel a sense of guilt, a sense of rebellion. All of those is because of the feelings underlying that is the feelings of not liking. And so okay. we have that feeling of liking and not liking and that feeling of not liking when it's ignorant. Winds up uh, wanting something that we don't have or putting up with something that we don't want to put up with. But when we are wise, we can say, hey, I don't have to have those kind of thoughts. I can have thoughts of being comfortable and happy. I don't have to want anything that I don't have. I can just be comfortable with what I do have. And on that note, you can also recognize that there are many people who, in meditation, they want something from meditation. Some people want enlightenment. And because they want enlightenment, that means that they have the idea or the feeling that they don't have enlightenment. And so therefore they're missing something and they're feeling a victim of loss of or lack of enlightenment. Rather than now practicing the skill of being satisfied with what they have, they're, they're practicing the skill of being dissatisfied and wanting something that they don't have. And so they start working really hard and using the wrong effort. Another example of that, of wanting something that we don't have, would be wanting past life experiences or wanting power, magical powers. Mm. Okay. And very few people, if any, ever get any real magical powers, which means all the others are just wannabes. And the wannabe is the one who is in suffering because he's right. wanting something that he doesn't have. And so putting away desires for enlightenment, putting away desires for uh, past life experiences, putting away desires for power 
and that kind of stuff and be content and comfortable and satisfied with what we have right now. That's the real practice of the Buddha. Not trying to attain anything. That in fact, when we hear Buddhist people talking about attaining this or attaining that, they're just ordinary people just trying to attain something as if they were going to the grocery store. Right. Always just trying to go get something. The real teaching of the Buddha is teaching you to be completely satisfied with what you do have. This is why Zen tells the students, uh, the Zen master will tell the Zen students, you're already enlightened, just sit here and enjoy it. (laughs) I guess I kind of run into that myself because I want to attain freedom from suffering. So, I mean, that's, is that? We'll do it right now. Do it right now. The freedom (laughs) from suffering is to take that suffering thought out and be free from it right now. So just remove it. Yeah. Just remove that thought and and take a deep breath and say, right now, I'm not suffering. It's true. (laughs) Wow. Right now, I'm not suffering. Right now is okay. Everything's okay right now. This isn't bad. They're sitting there having a good good conversation. And when we have those feelings of, hey, this is really nice, this ain't bad at all, comes also the thought that, and I can do this again. That this is not a one-time shot of having, you know, 50 or 60 years of dukkha, and then one flash of sitting with a teacher in the comfortable chair, and one moment (laughs) I finally wound up being free from suffering. No, we can practice this again. You can do this now. You got it one time. You can do it again and again and again every time you remember right. to throw those unwholesome thoughts out, take a deep breath, and be satisfied with this present moment. Right. Well, you're making it easier to get over this the awkward feeling I had with talking to myself like that. Cause I'm not used to talking myself up. <laughs> like you said, I mean, there's a lot of practice in not talking yourself up. So. <laughs> You've had a lot of practice in talking yourself down and right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, but yeah, this is very helpful. Very helpful. So one last thing then, and that is, is that you can also think of it as giving yourself permission to talk yourself up. That it's actually okay. You do not have to continue to talk yourself down just because that's the old habit. That please take the permission. You have the permission and the potency, the power. You can do this. Right. And also recognizing that in this state, we're not talking about never getting any work done. We're talking about just this very moment. And in fact, if you get yourself into a really good state before you go write that email, you'll probably even do a better job at it. Right. Right. This is what we mean by protection, that the Anapanasati practice is a protective practice. It is not a dangerous practice in and of itself. A lot of people say, hey, man, if I practice Anapanasati, I'd never get out of bed. Well, that's not a bad idea if you don't want anything, but more than likely, if you're laying in bed and have thoughts, you'll think of some reason to get up. (laughs) Everybody does. The question is, are you going to get up out of bed happily or are you going to get out of bed uh, miserably with all this work that you thought up that you've got to do? This is what we mean by um, uh, protection. So we have permission, protection, and potency that you are powerful enough to do this. You have permission from yourself and from me to, to practice this and that it's protective. It is not a dangerous practice because you can stop doing this and go back to the old way anytime that you want to. In fact, you're more than likely going to do it even when you're not wanting to, because that's an old habit. Right. So don't don't fear 
that if I begin to change the habits of my mind, that I will never get any work done because that's not going to be the case. Then, in fact, the way to look at it is, is that when you're in a really good state, then whatever your mind findeth to do, you could do it well. But if you don't like what you're doing, it might not be a very good job of it. Right. And yet we do almost all of our work unhappily. We do it because we have to do it. We do it with resentment. We do it with guilt. We do it with rebellion. Uh, we go along to get along. Now we're going to change that in the sense of getting away from it all, get the mind into a really, really good state. And then we can go and we can grab that thing and take care of it rather than being wound around by it. We could grab it and hold it because we've got the power to do that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So go practice well. And we'll talk about Anapanasati a little bit more in detail the next time because there's a lot to cover yet. But this is the basic way of getting started, these four things. Right investigation follows right wake up. Wake up and smell the coffee. To wake up and look at what you're doing. And in fact, I like that waking up to smell the coffee because it's all factory. It puts us in a sense. Right. Right. We're actually breathing in to smell that coffee. And so waking up to smell the coffee is a good analogy. And we keep practicing that over and over again. And the coffee really smells good. <laughs> All right. So do you have any questions before we finish? No, thank you so much, Damarano. I appreciate it. All right. Well, go practice a little bit longer. Get yourself into really, really good state. Ah, right. I see that crap. And then you throw it out. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. You have a good night. Good day. All right. <laughs> you see you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>